Hi, thanks to Cry Malt. This is Beer is a Conversation. I'm Matt Kirkegaard. This week, we have one of those all-too-infrequent conversations where Pete and I managed to be in the same place at the same time when we visited Melbourne's Brick Lane Brewery. We've been looking forward to finding out about Brick Lane for some time now. Word about a cashed-up brewery in planning featuring some celebrities and big sporting names started to drift around the industry a little over 18 months ago. This was followed up with news of some big drinks industry names and a 50 hectolitre Browcon brew house. In an industry founded on bootstrap operations talking quaint notions of small and independent, this news got tongues wagging and fingers pointing. And as beer started to find its way onto the market, contract brewed as many emphasised, and many sporting sponsorships, deals and partnerships started to be signed, people just kept talking. Now there is a brewery, a new look to the brand, and its own beer is hitting the market. So Pete and I have a long-awaited chat with founder and director Paul Balker and head brewer John Selton. We talk about the origins of the business, the backers, the brewer, and the beers. We discuss whether there is demand in the market for elegant, but perhaps unexciting craft beers, the challenges of branding, and also learn there will be a Brick Lane Barrel Program, amongst many other things. Enjoy the conversation. John Selton and Paul Belker, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for having us, Matt. Thanks, Pete. Now, we've just had a uh, pretty amazing tour of the uh, Schmick New Brewery that you've just uh, built uh, out here at Dandenong. But before we start talking about the beer and the brand, tell us a little bit about the background of the business. Where does Brick Lane come from? And I I, I guess that's a question for you, Paul. Yeah, so um, I I guess like most most people setting out uh, out in beer, I mean, it's a love of beer. Clearly, that's where everything kicks off from. Um, for us, it was a little bit different in a way because we started out with a group of about 25 people. So it, uh, it, w- it wasn't one or two guys that really put this whole thing together. It was a, a larger group, which makes us a bit unusual. Um, and there's a whole raft of reasons why it sort of panned out that way. Um, I guess one, one, one side of it is um, a good idea spun out of control. And before we knew it, we had uh, people knocking on the door everywhere wanting to jump into it, uh, as happens with beer. Um, the other the other key reason though was um, we wanted to do something kind of special um, and really build a um, a real hub of beer in Australia um, for independent beer and um, to make a whole raft of interesting styles of beer um, in a whole lot of different ways for us and for others and obviously to do that it's uh, something that one or two individuals uh, can't really bankroll um, so you need um, a bunch of people to I guess share the burden of that. But more than that, you also need a bunch of people with lots of different experiences and backgrounds and a project of this um, size and scale needs, you know, a heap of advice, a heap of input, a heap of mentors in the background and that's what we've got out of this group. How long did you um, kick around the idea of building a brewery before you actually sort of put the team together and you know, was it a conversation over a beer or did you sit down and sort of think, gee, I wouldn't mind owning a little brewery? Yeah, well, I mean, the initial start of it was, um, so it was myself, Andrew Scrimger, Bart Campbell, so there was three of us. I actually lived with Andrew at uni about 20-odd years ago, um, so clearly had a beer-drinking history with Andrew, Andrew, um, <laughs> which, had, which had carried on for the last 20 years, for better or worse. And then, you know, we had a chat about, you know, a few different ideas and different things we wanted to do. We'd all, all three of us had been in corporate life, I guess, and um, reached the point where, you know, we wanted to branch out and really have a crack at something by ourselves. 
Um, and that's where it came from. And it initially started as a small idea. And then we started looking around and uh, so John Selton came onto the scene and so I blame John for a lot of things, really. Um, <laughs> what, what, what was a small idea and a, um, like a bit of a, a project on the side soon, uh, soon escalated and developed. And, you know, it's pretty hard not to when you've got a guy with John's passion um, just telling us and showing us what beer could be. Um, and we got massively excited. Um, and then everyone sort of, you know, heard our story, heard John's story, jumped on board. And um, then you, you can see what we've, uh, what we've built this morning. So we've we've seen the brewery, and when we've had some big figures, uh, you know, peaking out at ten million liters for the current bottling line, so sort of the, the site can handle thirty million liters. What's your current capacity from day one? I can speak to that. So from day one, we're we're provisioned to make just shy of three million liters of sales beer. So uh, when it's a curly question, this because it depends. It depends is really the answer on the types of beer we make, on the formats we pack into, but but essentially just shy of three million liters. That's um that's that's what we can do right now. And that's what we're we're oh, at that's capacity what, at the moment. I was going to say yeah, it, uh, we were anticipating it to take a little bit of a slow burn to get to that, like um maybe phase that over the course of you know twenty four months or a little longer. But yeah, we're 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 at that now. So we're um. Uh, every week is bigger than the previous week, and at the moment we're we're maxing out the existing capacity. So the the upgrades that we were thinking about doing, sort of two years in the future, we're actually pulling the trigger on right now this week. And and that's a blend of beer under your own brand, which is proclaimed, and then also contract um, beer that you're doing for partners. Yeah, that's um, right. But but I guess so. Three million litres is still a substantial brewery. Uh, we've seen perhaps the first wave of brewers came in. 10, 15, 20 years ago who were using whatever stainless they could get, you know, old dairy equipment. Then we saw, saw a new generation come in who are looking at, you know, uh, you know 600 litre breweries or 1,000 litre breweries coming in. You guys have come in uh, very, very big. You've obviously got a fairly high level of confidence in the industry. Um, what part of the market do you target when you build a brewery that's that big from the start? Yeah, so, um, you know, I guess in some senses people would look at that and go, financially, um, you know, we must be illiterate. And it's a pretty bizarre thing to do to build a brewery of, you know, I guess that sophistication and technology. Really, we designed the brewery before we'd even decided on our, our branding and the type of beers and everything else. But what we wanted to do, I guess, when we looked at what was happening out in the market, you know, there's, you, know, you guys know this, this better than me, but call it 500-odd breweries out there um, of all different sizes, almost universally um, people are making interesting beers. You know, it's an industry that's just full of passion, you know, from the smallest breweries, everyone loves what they do. But when we had a really good look at the market, one of the, the issues I guess we saw was, you know, these fantastic breweries, some of who are brewing with us now, they reach, you know, maybe a million litres or somewhere around there and they max out of their brewery and, and where do they go? They're almost constrained into either capping out at that level or, you know, unfortunately having to sell on. And, um, you know, we didn't want to have that problem um, for ourselves, but more to the point, we thought, you know, there's all these fantastic independent breweries out there that are almost a victim of their own success because they can't access that additional capital to grow. Um, and the only real answer is to, you know, sell out or sell an interest to someone else. So our idea is we can come in and actually fill that gap, um, use a brewery for our own our own Bricklane beer, um, but also really help out some of these guys and get them in here and brewing. And, um, you know, when you say what the capacity is today, three million litres is... I guess on a run rate, what we're brewing, a small portion of that is ours, but um, 
we've been you know inundated with some really great brewers and great people wanting to come in here and we're already brewing for three or four of them at the moment and it's just fantastic to be able to help them out and have them in there you know every day there's different people you know our brewers are brewing you know we don't have a sour beer at the moment but we're brewing a sour beer like it's, it's just fantastic for us for the industry yeah, it, it sort of harkens back those those waves that came before us as well. They they sort of pioneered um, the the space that we're in now, and really we're we're indebted to those guys. And it's it's a it's a awesome place to be in because it's sort of a way of being part of this this you know this next wave, I guess, of um, of what craft beer or what independent beer is going to be in Australia. Um, but yeah, you know they're always in the forefront of our mind. Those guys who put so much effort in you know years and years ago in those first few waves of craft beer in Australia to open consumers minds as to what beer could become and really um you know we're 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 riding the the back of that you, you talk about um a lot of breweries that reach a million liters and then are constrained um but for every one of them there's probably 10 that struggle to reach half their capacity so you know it's very easy to say look you know we, we want to make sure that we've got a uh, capacity to grow but you've obviously got confidence that you've got a business that's going to reach that stage that that's going to become a problem and that your first problem isn't going to be selling beer yeah I mean our um, I, I guess our our entire model is really you know it, it is a brewing hub so we're hopeful for our beers um, you know we're making some great beers um, Matt and Pete you can't see at the moment are sipping them at the moment which is great so we've got some fantastic beers obviously in John Selton and his team we've got fantastic brewers so we've got a huge amount of confidence in our beer um, but, but our genuine model is that um, the actual Brick Lane brewery that you went through this morning that's not going to be all about our beer that is about making great beer um, and as I said, you know, if we can make great beer for a lot of other people, that's what we want to do. Um, and passionate people, people that are really, really proud of what they do and maybe don't have access to some of the technology that we do. I mean, we were speaking this morning about cross-flow filtration and some of these other things we've got in there. If we can open that up to others to, you know, make their beer even better or allow them to make different beers, for us, that's, that's what it's all about. John, uh you're a key component of the of the team here. Just, um, we, I don't think we've ever caught up with you on Brews News before during your time at Bright or Hawkers. We may have done a, a one at Hawkers, I think. Did we at one point? Possibly, yeah. So we'll have to go back back to the notes. But tell us a little bit about your um, background in brewing. I mean, I've just given two of the breweries that you've worked for. Yeah, well, that was that I started very much at the small end of town. So I at, at Bright Brewery, which is a real sort of idyllic start. You know, it was. Um, a great brewery, a growing brewery, right, which has now established itself as one of the, you know, one of the really great regional um, brewing hubs, I guess, in northeastern Victoria. And, you know, I was the the very first em- full-time employee there at Bright and sort of saw it grow from a really just a, a family operation of um, Scott and Fiona Brandon, who started it basically with their their own hands and um, and built it now into a, into a, a real hub of the community that employs you know, um, I think probably north of 40 people they're up to now, um, uh, produces a lot of beer and is a real focal point for the community. I guess in that gig, you know, not only was it a great learning ground and a place to sort of hone your your craft, but it was, it was, it switched me on to what brewing meant for community, I guess, you know, because we really were the hub of the local community. You know, you're really the focal point of people. People had come to Bright just to come to the brewery, um, 
uh, as the brewer, you know everyone in town. Everyone's your best friend because you're the guy who makes the beer. <laughs> and and really, it was a it was a beautiful introduction to the industry. Not just because of the the learning on the on the on the beer making side. I had some really great mentoring there as well. Um, but um, but because it helped me understand what beer meant in the context of culture, I guess, or in the in in a in a community context. And um, and that's something that I think um, has put me in pretty good stead for the rest of my career. Yeah, from there to to Hawkers, so as a as another startup. So I was at Hawkers as the again as the the first employee there at Hawkers with 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 Maz, and super super proud of what we managed to achieve there. I mean, they go from strength to strength. Really, a, another uh, an absolute startup. Greenfields project where. I was involved in the procurement of the all the equipment, the you know the design and formulation of all the beers, the um, the recruiting of the team and training of the brewing team, and um, sort of got addicted to the uh, to the punishment, to the startup, to the startup lifestyle, and um, and really it was it was kind of it was very sad and kind of painful to leave. I'm still really great mates with Maz and and everyone there, but um, when I heard about what was um, afoot. On the Brick Lane front, I mean, what an opportunity. It was something I couldn't possibly pass up. To have done one, they say there's only a couple of brewing commissionings you've got in you in your lifetime. <laughs> and to have had the opportunity to do two great Greenfields projects, you know, right at the sort of the start of my career, I'm, I'm really grateful for. Um, but I think I'm, I think I'm ensconced here. You know, there's a, I see myself at Brick Lane. You, you think you are? Or... <laughs> I hope so. You, you know something I Definitely. don't? Definitely. <laughs> You're not going anywhere, mate. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say that Paul just suddenly started looking slightly nervous when he said, oh, I like doing nervous startups. Nervous, I've gone white. So, so, <laughs> you know, once Brick Lane's established, you'll, you'll be on to the next big thing. No, it's, I mean, it, it was, it was a sad and sad thing to leave Hawkers because, you know, during the course of a company's life, you know, it goes from the... Um, manic sort of pace of startup, you know, of, of scrambling to get everything together and, you know, managing the, the I guess, the, the contracts and procurement side of things, building the actual, the, the, the beast, I guess. Then it transitions into what I find is really the fun stuff. You know, it's recruiting, it's building teams, it's, it's leadership, it's developing people and, and helping others, you know, in their careers as well. Um, and I think, I think that for me is, is, I guess the next adventure. I guess <laughs> you know, focusing on 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 more on the brewery leadership side of things. Um, really, it's such a varied role as well as as a as a brewery matures and grows. Um, uh, sure, there might not be um, as much on the capex side. I mean, it seems like we will have in our future. It looks like we're going to have a, a fair bit of you know project work coming up and expansion work coming up. But I think more to the point, and what I find more exciting is the. Um, the opportunity to to grow, to establish systems, to refine, to iterate, to to grow people as well as just capacity, as well as just you know pots and pans, but to to grow a team. Paul, you touched before on um, I guess the advantages of having such uh, a broad base of um, skills and, and knowledge uh, from the original let's call them shareholders, and that's allowed that 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 investment uh, and obviously there's a fair bit of confidence in the project that's allowed you to to build what we've seen today which is mightily impressive is that a double-edged sword so uh, those guys and look you know before brick lane had even turned the first spade um there was the cynics the usual suspects and oh it's you know it's, it's going to be a big corporate thing and they're all in it all these guys they're going to be beholden to the guys who put money in because they just want their investment back is there, um, I guess, a, not an exit strategy, but are the, are the investors on board in terms of 
we're with you for the long haul. We we believe in this project. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's a pretty diverse bunch of people. Um, so 25-odd people. Um, when we sort of went down the path and really formed the idea of what Brick Lane was going to look like, you know, after John Selton had pushed us, you know, out to the edge of what a brewery could be... Um, we had a really good idea of what it would take to build it, um, just in terms of capital and time and skills and, and knowledge. Um, we did look at, you know, clearly if a project of this size, you have to look at, you know, the financial impact of it as well, um, short term and long term. So we decided that this is a long term project. Um, you don't install and commission the sort of equipment we have if you're about short term. I mean, we would have got completely different setup if we were a short term. So. We are long-term, inherently a long-term business. Um, when we look at what it takes to be a long-term business, obviously a big slug of capital up front uh, is required. Now, you can find that in different forms. Um, I certainly don't have it in my pocket, um, so we needed some help with that. You can either then go down the path of debt, which is not really us, or you can go to large funds or large breweries or venture capital. And again, that comes with its own thorns. It's a model for some. It's not for us because that sort of pushes you into a three or four year exit. Um, again, not our model. So how do you build a long-term sustainable business without the worry of having to exit at any point in the short term? And the way you do it is by finding a bunch of individuals who are happy to take a punt, and it was a genuine punt. I mean, they, they put money into this before dirt was turned um, and have a long-term view of the world. So all these people that are supporting us, they're hands-off, but they're there if we need them. And um, you know, myself, John and others, regularly speak to them like all the time for advice you know about business about beer about retail about life like generally and pressures and stresses of running a startup you know a lot of these people have done it before um so i lean on them pretty heavily just personally for advice but universally everyone that's invested in the brewery are there for the long term that they're not looking at what date do i get out at what date do i get a dividend it's not what it's about i think we've built something bigger and better than that and much longer term this this will be here long after john and i have have moved on. Was contract brewing always part of the Brick Lane model or was that something that suddenly you've got this giant brewery, it's going to take Brick Lane a while to occupy that space so we have to fill up that capacity somehow to justify this big brewery? No, so I mean our model is, um, and you know contract brewing is a standard term for it but it's not really where we come from, it's you know we they're more partners, genuine partners that are in there. You know, we've done the tour this morning, but what we've built is an incredibly flexible brewery. I mean, the the type of beers that we're making at the moment um, are well beyond what we're making out of the Brick Lane brand. And we designed and invested in the brewery heavily so we could do that. Um, so it's genuinely there to support a range of different breweries, of different styles of beers. Um, if it was just about our beers... Again, completely different setup. So from the very beginning of this project, it's been about creating a facility because, you know, and th these are John Selton's words, but it's an absolute gift that we've been given and it is genuinely a selfish thing for us to keep that to ourselves. So it's been designed for a lot of different people to brew a lot of different styles of beers. And in terms of growth, we will not, as a Brick Lane brand, outgrow that brewery. There will always be other people brewing in there and that's what makes it exciting for us. And John, I remember speaking to you, I think, over Gabs. Um, so before, uh, I, in fact, I remember you making lofty promises about when the first beers would be coming out, which I think you actually managed to live up to. So yeah, well done on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to listen to that, um, that, that video over and over again <laughs> at Craft, Craft College. So I, I, I was very well aware of your promise. But it was, uh, I, I guess, a case of you were saying, we're going to have, I guess, all these elements to the brewery. So almost like a, a department store 
style brewery where if you want it, if you've you've got a beer, if you want to pop it in a tanker, bring it down to us just to have it cross flow filtered, or if you just want to use the centrifuge, or if you want to use the canning line, mm. um, right through to I want to start a beer brand, talk me through a recipe and then make it. You, so the idea was very much ingrained then that that you would be not all things to all people because that kind of sounds like a catch all for you know guaranteed to fail, yeah. um, but more that you were going to be. Uh, and, and Paul touched on it, flexible. You're right, you're right. And Paul Paul spoke to it well. You know, we could have built um, a far simpler brewery with a lot less process complexity and far cheaper <laughs> if we were making it just, say, for um, a, a couple of simple products or just for the Brick Lane brands, for example. But no, we've built a, a hell of a lot of flexibility in there, not just into our process, but hopefully into our people and into our systems as well to cater for lots of different partners, you know, and... That, that's a kind of exciting thing for me as well. And I don't think just for me, but for all the guys who do the real hard work, for all the brewing staff out there as well, they're not producing the same wort stream every day or filtering the same beer or packaging in the same formats. They're exposed to a diversity of different brewing styles, of different raw ingredients and, and working with different brewers as well. So it's not a transactional sort of model of just contract brewing that we do here. Someone doesn't give us a formulation and and we give them a finished product and that's the extent of the relationship. When they're brewing with us, it's, it's their home. You know, they're there all the time. Their quality people are talking to our quality people. Their brewers are alongside our brewers. Very much hands-on. And, um, and it's, um, it's, it introduces a deal of complexity because it's hard to standardise systems because, as you know, every brewer has different takes on doing things and different feelings about, um, you know, uh, ways of running their process or of procuring their raw ingredients. But but for us, it exposes, you know, me and, and all the brewing staff to a number of ways of doing things. It's like working in eight breweries simultaneously. And um, yeah, it's a real it's a real fun aspect of it. But um, yeah, you're right. We've got a good deal of ability to say, yeah, process the beer in different ways. We can do unfiltered beer, completely unfiltered beer. We're doing some incredibly hazy, um, you know, really, really turbid beer production at the moment. We're making making sour beers. We're making, you know, really clean, crisp, beautifully bright, stable lagers. Um, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen a barrel room. No, no, that, no, but Paul, is that coming? every single, so Tuesdays are our management meeting days and Paul asks me this every single Tuesday. So do you think the barrels can go here, John, or do you think they can go over there? And I've got the message well and truly, you know, <laughs> but no, they're on the horizon, right? Yeah, they're, um, we're putting them in um, and uh, it's just a matter of um, when and where. So <laughs> we've got plenty of space. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be complaining. We've done more barrels with less space in the past, but um, yeah, look. Uh, it's definitely part of the future. There's an old saying, Paul, that you know, money doesn't know where it comes from. And I guess in terms of the the investors, um, it's been great to have that input and have such, as I say, it, it doesn't matter that they're not beer people. But what I've noticed is that you've sort of got, I guess you've, you've drawn your key staff from a, a fairly a fairly good pedigree in terms of people who have been, you know, in highly respected areas of the beer industry. And that's clearly important to you guys. Um, like John says, you can you can talk beer to prospective partners or, or work along with, with the people who are working with you at the moment. It, was that a deliberate thing or was it just people who happen to be available or? It's a bit of a mix because um, I guess when you're trying to pull together a really good team and, you know, John's team on the on the brewery side is amazing and We've got you know, amazing people in marketing and sales and all through the business. Um, 
when we're recruiting people, I guess we're really looking for people who are passionate about the team and building something. So the main thing is we want people who want to be part of building an amazing amazing business, an amazing brewery. Um, so we tend not to, I guess, recruit off a CV. Um, you know, it just so happens that a lot of people who are well qualified in beer are that way because they're amazingly passionate about it so the two sort of go together but you know we I think we were saying this morning we're 27 people as it today so and growing pretty pretty quickly um but of those there'd be sort of 10 people in there have probably never worked in beer before um but are now obviously immersed in it and you've seen our working environment you're surrounded by it all day every day um and now they're you know they're passionate about beer so it's about the person you know genuinely and it's just um so happens that we've created or create an environment where some great, greatly skilled and qualified people have joined us as well. So we've talked a little bit about the business and the business background. Talk to us about the brand. Where is Brick Lane from? So Brick Lane um, is, you know, and branding's always a bit of a hard thing, you know, because everyone's got their own idea. Everyone is an expert in brand, you know, as we've discovered throughout this process. Well, consumers own the brand, really. Like, as the person who actually owns the copyright or the trademark, you own it, but... The, the consumer makes sense of it so that's right so it needs it needs to resonate and it needs to have a I guess a sense of what the business is about and where it comes from um, so when we pulled together the project we sort of looked and thought you know what are we all about you know what do we enjoy doing um, and what sort of people out there do we want consuming our beer um, and it all came back to we like doing fun things we're generally urban based you know um, within the staff and also the the group of investors um, we're from that urban environment. So in that urban environment, what do we love? What do we love doing? And it came up, well, good cities, good towns, all sort of start around a laneway. And even today, that's where you find lots of cool stuff. So, you know, you might have a, a dive bar, you might have a bloody Michelin star restaurant, um, you might have street buskers, you know, you've got street art, um, you have festivals, events. So it just seemed like this um, laneway concept was a, a great hub and a great social meeting place, open to everyone in the community. It's not... Um, not exclusive to anyone, everyone can take part of it. Um, that's how we want our beers to be, but also the extension of that is the brewery that we've built. It's genuine an open community brewing facility that anyone can use. So our brand needed to be accessible. And for us, a, a laneway reflected that accessibility um, to everyone in the community. At the same time, so the, the name's been constant, but um, you've only been open as a brewery for two months. And I think you've been in planning publicly for 12 to 18 months maybe That's a little right. bit longer yep you've gone through a couple of brand like of branding um labeling changes uh evolution already. if you like <laughs> evolution it, it almost feels like the um coming up with the brand has been a little bit harder than building the beautiful brewery it's so i guess like the background to that is um you know and as, as you've already touched on um, we've moved pretty quick in this project, so where we're sitting at the moment was dirt, a dirt field um, in November last year. So in about 10 months, we've constructed a building, installed a brewery, commissioned it and started producing beer. So it all, and that was according to our timeline, um, which, you know, if it wasn't, Pete would pick me up because obviously you've gone back into the history. Um, so it was a compressed timeline and we knew that as soon as we commissioned the brewery, we'd have the capacity to produce a reasonable volume of beer. So we thought, okay, we've got 10 months to really get our systems and our processes and everything up and running. Um, so to do that, you know, and John's already mentioned Maz, Maz has been like genuinely incredible. Maz and Hawkers have been hugely supportive to us. So over the last 10 months, we've been making our beer um, through Hawkers. Um, 
you know, we can't, can't thank him enough, to be honest. Um, but the reason we did that is because it gave us 10 months to get sales teams in places, um, get, you know, some venues, get our beer into market, get feedback, systems processes, get everything set up and running. So that, that's been the primary objective over the last 12 months. And to do that, we needed a brand to go out to market with. So the brand we've had out there, the Brick Lane's always been a constant, but the actual look and feel of the brand, I guess, was really a holding you know, a holding pattern until we commissioned the brewery. And the plan was always as soon as a brewery was commissioned, the new brand comes out, which is, um, I think, will be in stores in about three weeks. That said, there's been a whole lot of coasters, because you, you have been contract brewing till now, and there's been a whole yeah. lot of coasters and pack um, going. It doesn't exactly smack of the thing you've been accused of, which is being a marketing-driven company, when you, your marketing hasn't quite fired early on it's not that it hasn't fired i mean you know um it was always going to evolve and change to be honest um and because of the speed of the project you know we wanted to get beer in the market and get feedback from the beer um now a brand takes a long time to develop and um you know internally externally i mean we spent intensively the last six months really going through how we wanted the brand to look and feel um and that was not something we could have done off the bat um it just would have delayed um i guess the entry to market um, and if we had have had it like a two-year, three-year time horizon to build this brewery, that's fine. Um, but we made things, I guess, difficult for ourselves and set ourselves basically a 10-month timeline to go from dirt to commission brewery. So that, that's a, what the reason it rolled out like that. So let's talk a little bit about the beers now um, and you know, where you see yourself fitting into the marketplace because we've just sat here and we've had the, the, the lager and the pale ale. And there's also the um, red light, um, which is the red ale um, that, that you've made. And both of those beers are just elegant. The, the, the lager, the pale ale, beautiful beers. Um, craft beer has been uh, pioneered by, it's been driven by, it's you know, the, the hype and the excitement of it. Is there a market um, for elegant but unexciting um, craft beers? For me, absolutely. I'd call them exciting. I think that's a bit. Uh, I think that, well, that well, those no, beers get me excited. excited. No, well, well, no, but well, no, <laughs> I know and, what you and, mean. And, and again, like that, that was a, a very carefully um, thought no, through I question know. because. And I don't know if you know, but Matt does tend to overthink these things. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but, but when, when you're punched in the face by flavour and, and ho- obvious hops yeah. has been a hallmark. Yeah. You know, unbalanced hops yeah. have been a hallmark yeah. of. Um, craft beer. So rather than offend you guys, I'm mean, offending the other 400 breweries. Um, no, I'm just looking at all the empty cups on the table, by the way, Matt. But and sorry, I'll, I'll just sort of over-explain myself again because the reason that I ask is that when I tried the rooftop, um, sorry, the, the not the rooftop red, the um, and another Matilda Bay, uh, another, another Dandenong brewery um, back when it existed. Um, but the red light uh, ale, like I, I tried it and it was beautiful. And I was halfway through my second one before I realised I was actually driving. I had to stop. Mm. And it was when I was halfway home that I realised just how beautiful the, the, the malt and the hop character was. And I'm getting that with the pale ale as well. It's just this beautifully balanced, really resonant hop character coming through. But at the same time, that you know, what, what's the market for beers that people's you know, 15 minutes after they finish it, people go, "Gee, that's a good beer." I think, I'd like another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you're halfway home. Yeah. So I, I think, um, I think for me, I mean, that is the stuff that gets me excited, right? I think the mark of success for um, a brewer, you know, there there are brewers who love producing beers that are hugely bold in flavour and you know, Let's targeted. Say 
yeah, yeah, perhaps targeted right to the pointy end of the market. I, I love beers that people enjoy drinking, you know, and for me, there's no greater gratification as a brewer than seeing people at a bar drinking my beer by the pint and ordering several of them. You know, um, really, that, that for me is, um, is one of the most gratifying things, I think, about being a brewer. And I'd contend that I think um, beers that are more subtle or beers that are more integrated and aren't necessarily all skewed in one direction, be it, you know, big bodies or high bitterness or, you know, um, um, uh, overly hopped sort of aromas. You know, while they've got a place and while I personally enjoy drinking them in certain occasions, they're not what I go to when I knock off work. And, and I think you'll find a lot of brewers are like-minded when it comes to this. A lot of people produce really hoppy, say, you know, Imperial IPAs or Nipahs and things like this. But but brewers themselves, I think, because we're surrounded by beer every day, we tend to really appreciate and we tend to savour balance and refinement and um, beers that you can enjoy more than one of, basically. But if so, you're brewing for brewers, you're brewing for maybe 600 people in the country. There's a big brewery behind me that is making much more <laughs> beer than, than they want. And then to, to completely oversimplify the, the market you've got, the 90% of the market, 95% of the market that's being brewed by big brewers mm. who want to rely on brand um, to sell their beer mm. and mm. ease of consumption. And mm. then you've got uh, you know, 450, 500 breweries that are you know, fighting by you know, sort of yep. jumping out. And, and, and you've got a beer that is that sort of sits somewhere... I was going to say, there is a third space, isn't there, right? You know, like, we're absolutely not brewing down or brewing to a lowest common denominator or absolutely brewing not, for yeah. consumption, you know what I mean? Like, that's absolutely not what we're doing. Um, similarly, we're producing beers that, that people enjoy drinking. You know, that's, the, that's really, for me, the mark of success, you know? Like, I think you've hit on something important here. I think there is this third space, right? We're not creating a, a liquid that doesn't offend anyone or that's about rem- moving or detractive or you know um being devoid of flavor for example um but we're we're hopefully um providing a bit of a a gateway for people who are just starting their their craft beer journey and hopefully within the brick lane stable over the next couple of years as we start to fill out our npd pipeline and start bringing on some more interesting beers we'll be able to take them through a whole range of products and a whole journey ourselves you know from you know these I mean, I don't want to say easier to approach because I think they are. We're really proud of these beers and we think they're elegant and well put together. Um, but, you know, if people do want to become more adventurous, you know, this this wonderful plant over here that we've got allows us to produce big, bold beers as well. Really, Which we're already doing, well. you know, um, for other people in there. So, um, you know, th- this might be our stable at the moment, but if you have a look at what's actually coming out of our brewery, we've got a huge diverse range already, only eight weeks in. Um, and our whole model is, you know, we don't, I guess, just promote our own beers, but we're promoting the other beers that we're brewing out of that facility as well. And look, there are plenty of um, small brewers who cut their teeth on, we'll never have a lager, we're never going to do a, you know, a, a, a dumbed-down Australian-style pale ale, we're always going to be there for the hopheads, who are all now doing an Australian-style lager, uh, or an Australian-style pale ale. And I think one of the things where I think Brick Lane fits nicely is things like the the, the Hawker's Night Market, mm. where you could get somebody who drinks uh, spirit, somebody who drinks cider, somebody who drinks wine, somebody who drinks Carlton Cold, whatever it might be. But they happen to be at the market. Here's a beer that's available. It's not going to scare the horses. It may not turn them onto 
independent beer. It may not even get them off what, they, what they're normally used to, you know, walking blind into Dan Murphy's with the blinkers on and they don't look at anything else. They just go straight to where their, where their brand mm. sits and they, and they buy that. Um, but I think there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and as I say, having had the, the lager and the Pilsner um, that was brewed um, in conjunction with, with Prancing Pony. For Gabs. For yeah. Gabs, I thought was just an absolute cracking example. And it wasn't an over-the-top, um, you know, it, it, was, it was walking through, you know, forest floor in Lederhosen. It was just a real earthy, natural kind of um, aroma, uh, hop character and malt um, sort of confluence really fun beer to brew that one as well it was uh, it was uh, decoction mashed as well so we just for me had this this amazing great depth of of malt flavor um one of the first decoction um, mash beers i've ever made and you know i think i think the prancing pony guys and us we share a similar philosophy you know it's it's not necessarily brewing to um um to, to shock people with with huge flavors it's about making beers that are yeah as as far as we can refined and enjoyable and moorish with a depth of flavor i mean prancing pony's tagline is long flavor you know and um it's something that that i really enjoy in a lot of because i've got to say this this make. iteration of the lager having you know been an avowed fan of the lagers you'd brewed previously yeah. but that for me is it's not uninteresting yeah. um it's actually quite rewarding but it's there's there are no sharp edges to it. There's no, you know, there's, there's nothing spectacular yeah. about it. It's just really, really well made. And we, we work hard for that, right? You know, it's uh, uh, one of the, uh, this is one of the first ones out of our new facility. So it's it's the, the first beer that we commissioned our, our filter on, for example. And um, I think it validates some of the choices we've made around some of the process equipments or some pieces of process equipment or some of the some of the bits of kit and some of our approaches to brewing and raw materials even that we've used, I think, are reflected in that beer. And I'm glad to say you say this because it's, it's our sort well, of our Well, that beer for me is not so much let's make something that is going to um, appease the 95%. It's more just sort of letting them know, hey, maybe in the past you haven't felt welcome, there is actually something here for you. And that's just a perfect example of that. that yeah. that's and the way and I some it. of these these beers, you know, you, you mentioned Queen Vic Markets before. Um, these sort of beers we've had at Queen Vic Markets. Um, but, you know, what one of the beauties of the markets is, um, you know, we can sell our own beers there, but, you know, we, we invite others to come in. So, you know, people get to sample our beers there. You know, at the moment it's, it's a lager, it's a pale, it's a red ale. Um, but then we also, you know, we serve um, you know, with some great friends of ours, Brumanity, Two Birds, Stomping Ground, Hop Nation. Um, so what we're trying to do is, you know, get, get people into these sort of beers, which are not probably huge, too far removed from where they've been, but um, in our view, at pretty high quality, um, and then start move them through some of these other beers that are out there as well. And it's, um, you know, as long as people have a really good experience of their first move, which hopefully they do with these beers because we love them, um, we can then sort of move them into some of the others um, that we are friends with, that we partner with, you know, um, in the broader Melbourne, Melbourne scene. Um, and then over time, as John said, obviously, you know, we'll start moving into some different styles ourselves. You uh, talked about a little NPD pathway. Um, have you got anything in the uh, new product development uh, pathway that you want to share with us? That you're allowed to. We, that you're allowed got, to share with we, us? We've got quite a backlog, to be honest. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this, this is a downside of, um, you know, I guess, you know, uh, in hindsight, commissioning, you know, in the lead into summer and, you know, range reviews is um, pretty awkward time. Um, so we're, we're running pretty hard, but we've got quite the NPD pipeline at the moment. And um, it obviously goes out into some more interesting or 
uh, I guess, some more um, specialist styles of beers um, as well. Obviously, you know, John's having to think about a barrel room pretty quickly, I hope. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> so that'll, be, that'll be a key part of our business as well. Um, and you know, but that's quite a shift. I mean, it, it, even sort of talking about what, what you know, when, when you've got a beautiful lager, uh, and, and I say that advisedly because yeah. it, it is prof is right. It's a it's a beautiful lager, a, a really elegant pale ale. You've got the uh, red um, red light that you uh, are putting out as well. What else do you add to that, or do you make that big jump into starting to look at sour barrel aged um, oh, beers? For, I mean, in the way I philosophically look at it, to me, it's not a jump at all. I mean, we're just about making the best quality beer we can in any particular style or category. So um, if, that's, um, if that's a sour beer, if it's a, a Nipah, I know John's not into that, that, that scene, so I just threw that in there just to make him shake his head. Um, but I'm not saying we'll do one of those, but, or if it's, you know, it's a barrel-aged stout or whatever it might be, um, then as long as we're making the best beer and the best quality beer we can in that category and hopefully bringing something slightly new to it, um, to us, that's completely on brief of what we're about. John, talk to me about Nipahs then, because it's something... <laughs> it, Do I have to? It, it, no, well, no it, it's a recurring theme for, for brewers. They, you know, every brewery's got one, but no one wants to make one, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, apparently. You know, yeah. is the Nipah, for all of the love that it has amongst big eggs... You know, it, it, I think it, we've reached peak Nipah. Yeah. I think oh, uh, I think we're I think I think the waves crashing now, and uh, you know I think people are uh, again celebrating uh, beautifully refined, crystal clear, refreshing beers. Like it should be, John. I mean, yeah. mind, <laughs> mind you, you know, like you know, I joke about it, and um, I, I'm not an adherent of thinking that you know hazy is lazy. You know, when brewed with purpose, and when brewed with intent, and when brewed well, these can be triumphant beers. They can be wonderful, wonderful products. But um, to do them well, it's not just a matter of sloppy brewing practices. It's not a matter about throwing packets of flour into a boil or lazy loutering to produce dirty, hazy wort. You know, um, well-made, like many styles of beer, they take iteration and they take refinement and a good deal of skill and, and forethought. Um, um, and there are some wonderful brewers out there that make, that make some, some examples like that. Um, personally not massively to my taste you know what I mean because I'm someone who enjoys <laughs> I guess um I mean in the right drinking occasion they're great you know and out of a curiosity they're great but um you know like so many trends we've seen in craft beer time and time again um I think there's a place for them but um but really I don't think they uh they should occupy the um necessarily the bit the minds of uh you know of beer drinkers um Entirely, you know, they they can be when when done poorly, they can be thick and soupish and autolysized and 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 syrupy and, and they look and horrible. Harsh. They just look horrible in the glass. Yeah, yeah, they they often do. They often do. Yeah, yeah. I serve mean, them in as, stone, so you can't yeah. even see them. I think you know. I think brewers bring I think, back pewter. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that brewers themselves, you know, because you've you've no doubt heard this same thing from a lot of brewers, right? You have to work a long way before you've speaking to an actual brewer who, who enjoys making the things. It's because in our training, you know, we're trained that beer is also, it has to be an aesthetically beautiful thing. You know, it has to come out looking beautiful with great head, with great clarity. And, um, you know, this sort of flies in the face of it. Occasionally, you know, when done right, like I said, with a, with a, you know, with a clear intent and clear purpose and when brewed correctly, they can be, they can be delicious, you know. But when you're serving a casserole, which is basically brown goo, um, <laughs> you still want to make it look good on a plate. And there's, you know, because it's 
just the way that it looks. But yeah, so anyway, we've done enough. Guys, this segment was brought to you by people who hate Nipah. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, thank you very much for showing us around the the, the brewery. All the very best. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing uh, what else comes from uh, Brick Lane. But uh, John Selton, Paul Bowker, um, Pete Mitchum. Thank you very much for joining us uh, on Beer as a Conversation. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Great guys. having you here. Thanks a lot. And that was Paul Balker and John Selton. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation and we look forward to another conversation next week.